0: Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, if you're listening today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And my prayer is that the message you are about to hear will help you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook now. Get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. Today's text is going to be Luke chapter 24. And if you're new to the Bible, uh, Luke is the third book of the New Testament. So go Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we're going to be in the 24th chapter, which is the last chapter of Luke. And we're going to be looking at verses 13-13. To 35. And while you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. Who here has ever had something not go according to plan? Everybody, right? If you've been around for more than five seconds, you've quickly learned that life doesn't always go the way we think it should. And I want to share one such story with you uh, before we dive in. And it comes to us from 2009, September, in eastern Afghanistan. And it's a small unit of Americans that are operating there. It's right along the Pakistani border. And the terrain is very rocky, very mountainous, very hard to navigate. And these Americans were going into a village, a village called Gangegal. And their purpose for being there was to meet with the tribal elders and try to convince them that the Americans are good. You see, the way Afghanistan is set up, they do have a strong central government in the capital. But once you get outside into these remote villages, the local elders are the ones who hold the power. It's a tribal society. And so the military recognized early on that it is important to meet with these elders and try to convince them that, hey, we're here for your good. The government is here for your good. And quite frankly, we're a better option for you than the Taliban. And so, Uh, these Americans were headed into this key leader engagement, something they had done multiple times, and every time it had gone without incident. September the 8th started out just like every other day. And these Americans are driving in their trucks along with their Afghan army counterparts, and they get to the part in the valley where they can proceed no further. Because of the terrain, they have to dismount their trucks, and they proceed to the village of Gangegal on foot. It's at this point that things don't go according to plan. And as these Americans are proceeding to the village, they come under heavy enemy fire. From all sides of the valley, fire is raining down on them. And so these four Americans rush forward to the village to seek cover and concealment. And it's while they're seeking cover and concealment that they become cut off. And the leader of these Americans is radioing for help. First, he radios for artillery support. Gets gets denied. A little bit more time goes by, and this attack is only intensifying. He radios for air support. Request denied. And it's at this point he's starting to think, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. All the while, there are two Marines left back at the trucks who are watching this all unfold, one of which is the youngest, and the lowest-ranking Marine president that day, a young corporal. And he's watching this all unfold before his eyes, and he's listening to this across his radio. And it's at this point he re- requests permission to go into the valley to save his friends. Requested not. And then again he asked, let me go in. And they say, no. And so you can imagine, as he's watching this all unfold, wanting desperately to help his friends. The feelings of hopelessness that begin to come over him. The feeling of despair, discouragement, thinking this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And that's where we come to this morning in Luke chapter 24. We encounter two disciples on the way home from Jerusalem where they had just spent the Passover. And while the Bible doesn't tell us much about these disciples can't help but think that maybe as they were heading to Jerusalem for the Passover, they were thinking, maybe this is it. Maybe this is when Jesus finally ushers in his worldly kingdom. Maybe while we're there in Jerusalem this weekend, we're going to see him restore the nation of Israel. Maybe we get to see him topple Rome. Maybe this is it. But what they did not expect is what happened three days before that this Jesus who they had been following would be killed. And not only killed, but he would be killed by their own religious authorities, the people who knew the scriptures, who knew about the Messiah. And yet they were the ones crying, crucify him, crucify him. And that's what had just happened three days before. And so you can imagine in their minds, they're thinking, this isn't the way it was supposed to be. And here they are walking home, three days later, and you can imagine that on the seven-mile journey, they're walking slowly, that they're feeling these feelings of hopelessness, despair, that their body language is even echoing the way they're feeling, slumped forward and walking slowly. But the problem is that they did not have a correct understanding of who Jesus was. And many of us have that same problem, that we have an idea of who Jesus is, or we try to make Jesus shape our idea of who he should be. And you know you've done it. You think about those co-workers that are lost or those friends that you've shared your faith with. You say things like, Jesus is love. He's meek and mild. But we leave out the part about judgment and the condemnation. Or like these disciples, Jesus is the conquering king. But we don't like the idea of the suffering servant. And we see that these disciples have unbelief that blinds their eyes from seeing who Jesus is. And we've all experienced that as well. And what I want to show you from the text this morning is three ways that Jesus reveals himself to us. So join me now as we read Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. We're going to go down to verse 27. This is what the word of the Lord says. are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, "What things?" And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a man, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that we can come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and just gather around your word. We're thankful that it's in the pages of your word that we get to see who you are that you have revealed yourself to us on the pages of Scripture. And, Father, I pray that this morning, over these next few moments, as we dive into the text, that you will reveal yourself to us, that we would see you clearly for who you are, and that if there's anyone here among us who does not know you as Lord and Savior of their life, that today they would see you for the very first time and call you Lord. And, Father, we pray these things in your name. Amen. So the very first thing I want us to see is that Jesus reveals himself through our hearts, not our eyes. Look at verse 16. It says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Here they are walking along. All of a sudden, a third person joins their party and starts talking to them. They see this person. They're carrying on a conversation with this person. But yet, for some reason, they cannot see that this is Jesus. So it begs the question, why? And we see the answer to these things in verses 19 and 21 when Jesus asked them, what are you talking about? Look at verse 19. He said, and he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They have an idea of who Jesus is supposed to be. They know that they have some understanding of the scripture that the Messiah is the one to redeem the nation of Israel. But yet here they are looking at him and they can't see him. And we see the answer to that in verse 19, that their understanding isn't complete. Say, so he's a man. He's a prophet. Mighty in word and deed before God. Not That he is God. We see that their unbelief blinds them from seeing who Jesus really is. And so our takeaway from this is that informed minds are not illuminated hearts. And what I mean by that is they knew the scriptures. They knew the Messiah was the one to come redeem Israel. And yet they didn't understand how that was supposed to look. Let me give you an example. Most of you don't know, but uh, I went to school for history. Uh, I went with the plan of being a historian. I wanted to be a college history professor. Uh, That was my plan for my life. But it was during the course of that that God said, no. And here I am. praise God for that. Um, But I still have that passion of history. I love to read about history, uh, especially 20th century. And one of my favorite people in history to read about is Winston Churchill. For those of you that don't know, Churchill was the prime minister of England during World War II. He did a lot of things out throughout the course of his life. I find him really fascinating. In fact, right now I'm reading his memoirs from the Second World War, and it's just crazy to be able to get into the mind of a world leader that experienced something like that. But no matter how much I read about Churchill, I'm never going to know him personally. Not going to happen. And the same is true for some of you. You've been around church for a long time. You've heard the Bible stories. You've heard about Adam and Eve. You've heard about Noah and the flood, Abraham and Isaac, Moses and the Ten Commandments, David and Goliath. You've heard all these Bible stories growing up, and yet you've completely missed God in every single one of them. And I'm going to tell you how I know that. I was just like that. As a kid, my parents had me in church every time the door was open. I grew up hearing all these Bible stories, and I knew all about them, but what I had missed in every single one of them was God. Let me show you. Tommy preached on this last week, Genesis 3.15. We see when Adam and Eve sin in the garden, God promises salvation right there in 3.15. Jesus came, and he crushed the head of the serpent when he went to the cross. Or what about Noah and the flood? God spared Noah from his divine wrath. But in Jesus, his divine wrath was poured upon him on that cross. Or what about Abraham and Isaac? There on Mount Moriah, God allowed Abraham to spare his only son. But on Mount Calvary, he did not spare his one and only son. Moses and the Ten Commandments got the law straight from God, but yet he and Israel failed to live in obedience to the law time and time again, and we see that Jesus came not to abolish the law but to fulfill it. David and Goliath. where David conquered the giant Goliath. Christ conquered the giant of sin and death. I had missed all that. And some of you have missed it too, but I pray that this morning you will see it for the very first time. Romans 10.10 says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. With the heart, not your eyes, informed minds are not illuminated hearts. And we also see from this text that seeing isn't believing. Verses 22 through 24 show us that. It says, Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Got three witnesses right here attesting to the fact that Christ is not in the tomb. And yet these two disciples, they've heard that. They just told Jesus that. They said, yeah, we've heard from three witnesses he's not in the tomb. Yet they still don't see that he's right in front of them. Think about the other disciples. Think about the apostle Peter, who was in Jesus' inner circle, who was with them on the Mount of Transfiguration, who saw Jesus having communion with Elijah, and Moses when heard the voice of God saying, this is my son. Yeah, he still didn't fully get it. Or where just a few days prior, where he denied Christ three times before he went to a cross. But then fast forward to where Luke writes the book of Acts in chapter 2. We see a different Peter. We see a Peter that boldly stands up before a crowd and proclaims the word of God and you remember where he pre- preached from? The book of Joel. I don't know about you, but I don't spend a whole lot of time in the book of Joel. But two things are happening right here that I want you to see. First, the Holy Spirit has come upon Peter. And for the very first time in his life, he has a right understanding of the Scriptures. For the very first time, he sees that in the book of Joel, it is all pouring into Christ. For the very first time, he sees that. And as a result, he can't help but stand up and proclaim that in front of people. Seeing isn't always believing. And so what do we do with that? I just touched on it, but we need to read Scripture correctly. Unlike these disciples who are in a unique point in the salvation narrative, they don't have the Holy Spirit yet but anyone who is a believer in Christ has the Spirit of God dwelling inside of you. And that allows us to understand Scripture correctly. So trust in the Spirit to guide you as you read. Get a good study Bible. I have the ESV study Bible, and I use it every day as I read because I don't always understand what I'm reading. And so it's helpful to have those notes at the bottom of the page to be able to understand what the Scripture is saying. If you have any questions about, you know, what Bible might be best for you, ask someone. There are people here on staff that would love to help you with that and would love to provide you with resources to grow spiritually. So get a good study Bible. Get involved in a discipleship group or a small group. It's in these groups that we come together as fellow believers and we see the text and we dive into the text and we grow together. And one of the great things is you realize that They've got questions just like you do. And so you see this together and you grow together. And then lastly, you ask questions as you read. Don't just open up the Bible, read your passage for your daily reading or your devotional, and then close it up and go about your day. Ask questions. Say, what does this mean? What implications does this have? Why was this written? Ask these questions because when you ask these questions, you start to find answers. So we see that Jesus reveals himself through our hearts. The second point I want you to see is that Jesus reveals himself through his word. We're going to read verse 28 through 35 together. So they drew near to a village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to say, stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized to them. And he vanished from their sight, and they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven. Those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As Jesus is walking along with these two disciples, how is it that he reveals himself to them? Verse 27 says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, I don't know how long this took But I imagine getting an Old Testament lesson from Jesus probably took a while. There's a lot going on there. But in that, what he is trying to get these disciples to see is all of this is pointing to him. That from Genesis to Malachi, it is all pointing towards a Savior who is going to come and redeem Israel. But yet, they they still don't get it. Even after Jesus has just given them a Bible lesson, they still don't get it. But he reveals himself through his word. And we know that because Tommy's been preaching through the book of Genesis. In the past two weeks, we've been in Genesis 3 where we've seen the fall of humanity into sin. We see in Genesis 3 God's plan for redeeming humanity. Paul writes in the book of Romans that the wages of that sin is death. And he also goes on to write, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God we see that in scripture and then we see verses like John 3:16, where God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life we'll go back to Romans and we see that in Romans 5 8 while we were still sinners Christ died for us That's where we see Christ is in the pages of Scripture. I love this passage from John 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. or Excuse me, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What John's saying is, if you want to see the word, Jesus, you have to be in the word, the written word. And I love it. he says that in Jesus we see that there's life and there's light. What does light do? Helps you to see. So it's in the scripture that it illuminates our hearts in order to see Jesus. Or think about what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 4. It says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul's reaffirming the same thing. He's saying, you want to see Christ, it happens in your heart, not in your head. You ever been sitting in church one Sunday morning and you've heard someone get up and faithfully proclaim the word of God and your heart burned inside of you? Maybe it was the day that you accepted Christ as Lord and Savior over your life, or maybe you have been thinking through something, praying over it, and the word of God just really pierced your heart that day and answered that question for you. Happened to me about four years ago. And uh, it was at this time that I was given the opportunity to go on my first mission trip. I was a new believer at that time, recently a new believer newly married, Uh, and I began to think, God, I'm not ready for this. You know, I don't have anything to offer these people. I don't know my Bible, and I could think of every reason not to do it. But then one Sunday morning, I heard a preacher preach from Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15 that says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. At that point, my heart was burning. And I knew the answer to that. I have to go. And you've seen it too in your own life. So you have to be in the word to see the word. Secondly, you have to be in the Word prayerfully. What I mean by that is when you're doing your daily readings or your devotionals or what have you, don't just read it and then close it up and forget about it. Read it and pray as you're reading along. Ask God to reveal Himself in the Scriptures to you. Ask Him to help you to understand what this is saying. Ask Him to help you live out what He is asking of you in those Scriptures. You have to be in the Word prayerfully. Thirdly, you have to meditate on the Word. I love the word meditate. What I don't mean with meditate is put on some stretchy pants, go sit in your bedroom, turn the lights off, burn some incense, and sit crisscross applesauce on the floor and try and empty your mind. That's not what I'm talking about. To meditate means to feel your mind. Think about what God commands Joshua in Joshua one eight. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. God's telling him, you got to think on the scriptures day and night, morning, night, all the time. Paul echoes this in Colossians 3. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Meditate on the Word. Set your mind on that. Whenever I'm asked to preach, and I'm thinking about what text to to preach, or, or even in my Bible study, as I'm thinking over a text, I meditate on it. Whether I'm cutting the grass Whether I'm exercising, walking the dogs, I'm constantly thinking on this passage. Because I don't know about you, but when I read a passage of Scripture for the first time, I don't always understand what it's saying. And so I meditate on it. I'm constantly thinking, what does this mean? What are the implications of this text? God, what are you trying to say here? God, how do you want me to communicate this to your people? You have to meditate on the word. And lastly, you have to be in the Word daily. That's exactly what he commands Joshua, day and night. And you've seen it. You know that even after you became a follower of Christ, did the attacks from the enemy stop? No. Every day we're confronted with new temptations, new attacks from the enemy. That's why it's so important to be in the Word. And I love how the author of Scripture describes His word as sharper than a two-edged sword. You have a sword in your hands and ready to do battle. So use it. Thirdly, Jesus reveals himself through communion with other believers. So we see that he reveals himself through our hearts, he reveals himself through his word, and now he reveals himself through communion with other believers. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 30. It says, When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And then jump down to verse 33, it says, And they rose at same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven. Those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. This is interesting. So they finally get to these disciples' house in Emmaus. And we see a reversal of roles here. Jesus takes on the role of the host. He is the one that takes the bread and blesses it and breaks it. Not the disciples whose house they're in. This is, this is interesting. And it's also interesting that it is this action that their eyes are opened. And I can't help but think about what took place a few nights before. How Jesus took his disciples to an upper room. And they partook of communion together. And you remember when Jesus took the bread, what did he say? This is my body that is broken for you. And he took it and he blessed it. Or think about a few months ago as we were doing our study through the book of John and his I am statements. What does does Jesus say In John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. And we see this three days before, when this bread of life went to a cross and was broken for us, was buried, and rose again. And it's in this moment, it's all coming together for these disciples that they are seeing, yes, this is who Jesus is. Not who we thought he was. This is the real Jesus. We see it now for the very first time in our lives. And I love their reaction. Verse 33, they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. Now, I don't know about you, but the last time I walked seven miles, the last thing I did was turn around and run right back where I came from. But friends, that is what seeing Jesus does to you. And you've seen it in your own life. You remember that day you placed your faith in Christ, whether it was as a child. You couldn't wait to go to school the next day and say, "Friend, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me." Or as an adult, you couldn't wait to go to work the next day and say, "Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me." You had that fire burning in your heart just like they have. Couldn't wait. And so we see that here, opened hearts lead to open lives. Their hearts have now been opened. They have seen Christ for who he is for the very first time. Nothing else matters. They run to Jerusalem to tell everybody they know what they had just seen. They don't say, Jesus, why couldn't you have done this when we were a little closer to Jerusalem? Or they don't say, Jesus, I just got home. I'm comfortable. I'll do it tomorrow. Or, you know, Jesus, I'll be in Jerusalem a month from now. I'll do it then. You know? No. That hour, it cannot wait another minute. They go. And so for us, what we need to do is stop viewing the Christian life as something I have to do and start viewing it as something I get to do. I don't have to follow Christ. I get to follow Christ. I don't have to proclaim the gospel. I get to proclaim the gospel. I don't have to live on mission. I get to live on mission. And so we stop viewing the Christian life as something I have to do, but something I get to do. And then lastly, run. Run. The reality is we're all running. We're either running to something or we're running from something. I mentioned earlier about how that day when you first placed your faith in Christ, that fire burned inside of you and you couldn't wait to tell others about it. But for some of you, that fire's going out. It's not burning as strong as it used to. So I want to ask you, that neighbor that you know is far from, from God, when you see them out, and about in their yard are you running over to them or are you running back in the house hoping they do not see you that coworker, are you waking up in the morning anxious to get to work to say friend let me tell you about Jesus or are you dreading getting there taking your time getting to the office in the morning saying man I really don't want to have to deal with that person are you running to them and so that's my challenge to you I know right now in this room, the Holy Spirit is moving, and right now on your heart is someone that you know is lost and far from God. I know it. Whether it's a friend, whether it's a spouse, family member, co-worker, neighbor, someone. I know each and every one of you, God has placed somebody on your mind that you're thinking of right now. So my challenge to you today is to run. Run and tell them about what Christ has done for you. Don't wait another day. At that very hour, they got up and run. That's what I want you to do today. Run. Don't wait another day because we know that Christ has come. He has died. He has been buried and he is raised again. Praise God for that. And he's coming again. Right now, he is on his throne, his eternal throne, reigning supreme. But one day he's coming back. And today, we're one day closer to that. And tomorrow, we're going to be one day closer to that. So live with a sense of urgency. Run! Don't wait another day. And for some of you, oh, I pray this. For some of you, it's not a person, but it's a people. For some of you, for some time now, you've been debating, thinking, God, I feel like you're calling me to the mission field that to this specific people group in this specific place, I feel led to go there. I want to encourage you today to go, to surrender and to go. I pray that today we are a sending church, that we are going out these doors today, running to share the gospel. So we see that Jesus reveals himself through our hearts, through his word, through communion with other believers. So as I conclude, I want to finish the story from earlier uh, from Afghanistan. So remember, these Americans are cut off in this valley. This young corporal, the lowest-ranking person there, is back at the trucks, and he's watching this all unfold. He's the youngest person there. And like his brothers that are trapped in the village, he's thinking this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And he's heard over his radio their cry for help, for artillery support, for air support, and it being denied to the point where he said, I want to go. And they say, no, you stay put. But what he does is he looks at the Marine who's with him, who outranks him, and he says, I'm going in there. Are you going with me? And the Marine says, yes. So they hop into a truck, and then they go to the valley. It doesn't take long before the enemy concentrates all their fire on this one truck. And as they're driving in, they see their wounded Afghan car- counterparts along the way. So they grab them, put them in the truck, and take them to safety. Then they go back in. Second time, more and more people they're saving, bringing them to safety. And then a third time, each time going deeper and deeper into the valley, each time, the enemy fire is getting more and more intense. And then a fourth time. And a fifth time, till finally they get as far as they can go to where they can proceed no further in a truck because of the rough terrain. So this young Marine, he hops out of the truck and he proceeds on foot. And he finally gets to the, to the village and he retrieves the bodies of his comrades. And for his actions that day, Corporal Dakota Meyer was awarded the Medal of Honor in 2011. But in every interview I've ever seen with Dakota Meyer, he doesn't refer to himself as a hero. In fact, he sees himself as a failure because he wasn't able to retrieve his friends before they had fallen. But you see, that day, Dakota was an unlikely savior. He was the youngest one there, he was the lowest ranking one there, he wasn't even supposed to be in the valley. And that day did not go according to plan. But my friends, 2,000 years ago, everything went according to plan. That we see Christ in all his glory for who he is come and go to a cross, suffer a grueling and violent death for us that we all deserve, and was buried in a tomb, and on the third day rose again. And as we've seen from these two disciples, their vision, that this Jesus, he was an unlikely Savior. Nothing at all that they had anticipated or expected. But there he is in all his glory for all of us to see. And so my friends, I want to ask you, for those of you that are already followers of Christ, maybe you've taken your eyes off of Jesus. Today, I want to encourage you to come, repent, And run. Live on mission. Live with that fire inside of your heart. And for those of you who maybe today is the very first time you're here, maybe today is the very first time you're hearing about who this Jesus is, I pray, I pray that today you see Jesus for who he is for the very first time, that your eyes are opened. And if that's you, I want to invite you to come. In just a moment, we're going to have a a song of invitation and we're going to pray. If that's you, I want you to come and I want you to acknowledge that yes, we're all sinners and that you're in need of a Savior and place your faith in Jesus Christ. If that's you today, I want you to come. But however the Lord's leading you, I invite you now to respond in obedience as we close our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for texts like this where we can just see who you are and Just see the beauty of your son, Jesus. Lord, I I thank you for loving us in spite of our failures, in spite of our sins, that you provided us with an unlikely Savior in the form of Jesus Christ that we can confess our faith in and and enjoy your presence for all eternity. So, Father, I ask now that however you're moving in the hearts of your people, that we would all respond in obedience. We ask this in your son, Jesus' name. Amen.